Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BNAC Talks Press. Hello there, this is Bridget McGowan, and it's time for another episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Alyssa Sully. Alyssa, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bridget. I'm so honored and excited to be here and to talk and share my story, my experiences, and provide some value to your audience. So thank you. Well, with that frame of mind, this is going to be a good one. I am not going to waste valuable airtime. I'm cutting right to the chase. Alyssa, you have been a professional speaker for some time now, but you have done other things. We're going into the professional speaker world today, and I'm going to ask you, Have you ever gotten on a stage, had a speaking engagement where you had some kind of a surprise, you were completely thrown off your game, something just, I don't know, just didn't, didn't work right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd love to dive into the, I have one particular story that's coming to mind. It was kind of a shocker, but it taught me a lot about speaking and authenticity. And so I was in Toastmasters at the time, which is a a speaking organization. There's different groups and chapters all over the world. And I was in what's called an evaluation, evaluator competition. And the evaluator of a speech is someone who listens to someone do a five to seven minute speech. And as the evaluator, you are looking at the structure, the content, the flow, the vocal variety, the way they're communicating things, their body language, things like that. And then you provide, you have to, in five minutes, create a two-minute speech that you share with them that provides pointers for improvement, as well as some positive aspects of what they've done. And so I had made it to the final competition. There was about, I don't know, 10 or 12 of us in this competition. And the person who did the speech um, was extremely nervous. And typically at that level of competition, you're going to have a pretty refined speaker and it's harder to pick and pull areas for improvement. And that's where you you see the evaluator's skill set and really identifying areas for a speaker to improve. And so this speaker was so nervous. Her speech was really, it was harder to find uh, points of of, of great pieces versus uh, areas for improvement. And so the challenge for the evaluator was actually to find, not let her bring her down any further. She was already at, you know, feeling yucky. How can I lift her up, but also provide some some points of, of suggestion? So I get out there. And I present and I've got two minutes and there's a point system for this competition. I'm in flow. I'm hitting everything. I, I've got the, like the VP of Toastmasters there right in front of me. I jump off the stage. I get in front of this girl and I'm the, I'm telling her, get interactive, be connected to the audience. And she's lighting up and the room's lighting up. They're laughing a little bit and whatever. And I get back on the stage. I wrap up my presentation And then the other evaluators go and they conclude the competition and uh, do the award ceremony. Well, I know I killed it. I know I've hit my point system. I've had people like, oh my gosh, you did amazing. And one name after another name, 
after another name is called as winners of this competition. What? And I sat there and I was like, all right, all right. And I started having people coming up to me. They're like, how did you not win? How did you not even like qualify like under the top three, right? And I'm like, I don't know. They're like, you should have won all this stuff. And I was, um, the previous year's winner is the one who runs the competition. And I had walked up to the winner of the competition that day and I congratulated the gentleman. And as I'm speaking to him, the person running the event, which is last year's winner, uh, uh, looked at me directly pointed at my face and said, you should have won. And then she proceeded to look at the gentleman next to me who won and critique his speech. And I knew right then I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. But what I learned from this is that I had someone who was kind of higher up in, in the organization and was there that day. And she said, Alyssa, did you really jump off the stage in your speech? I said, yes, I did. And she said, you were disqualified for jumping off the stage. Oh. It's, not, it's not permitted. And so I learned a couple things. One, the kudos and the, uh, the support that I received from the audience of about 200 people, even the VP of Toastmasters reviewed my and, and spoke about my speech in front of everybody after when she realized I was disqualified. And I was really honored, right? So for me, it wasn't about the trophy. It was about, wow, I did make an impact that day. But the other part of it was, is in speaking, not, it's not gonna resonate with everybody how you speak or what you present, but always be authentic. That was me that day. I was on fire. I felt amazing. I jumped off and I was interacted and I made that girl feel amazing afterwards after a speech that she completely botched. I did my job and um, it just it just reminded me that authenticity and being real and, and, and presenting the way that feels good for you, um, go with that, go with it. Because I could have let that, pre that experience Hold me back from moving forward because it was something I worked really hard to to potentially win and to know I was disqualified for being myself and really trying to you know it it shook me a little bit but I know that it, it, it's not about being perfect it's about having fun and being authentic and doing your best to make an impact. I am sitting here with my mouth open still trying to <laughs> digest jumping off the stage is not permitted that is something different yes that can be something dangerous yes <laughs> but that was something impactful and I'm going to use jumping off the stage as a metaphor or as a label for doing something different yeah so Alyssa what recommendations do you have for listeners to jump off the stage? Because they're saying jumping off the stage is not permitted. I am going to say, and everybody who was giving you feedback at that event was also saying jumping off the stage may not have been permitted, but it sure was perfect. It sure did fit. So what are some unconventional things or maybe strange things or different things listeners should think about doing as opposed to trying to stay in this box 
when sure. making presentations. Yeah. You know, what I find is um, the more I like to, I have people say to me, how are you so fluid in your speech? And when, when I talk, right, when I have a presentation and, and um, it's a story that I pretend I, I, I share regularly, right? They're like, how are you so fluid? It is like muscle memory. When you have a story or a message you want to share, really practice it. Know it in your mind, like, like, you know, driving a car or riding a bike. And the reason I recommend this is because the more comfortable you are in your story, the more fluid and free you feel on your stage for movement, for vocal variety, for you know, anything that comes up, maybe somebody chuckles in the audience and you want to like chime in and make like a joke about it, but you don't want to go off track and you get worried that if I so much as comment on that, guys, I'm going to lose where my thought is in the story. But when you know your story, your message well enough, it's, it's so, it just gives you this freedom to be more real and authentic and not so rigid. So the more you know it, the I, I know from my own personal experience and those that, that I watch speak, uh, it just flows easier and you can be more authentic and, and have fun. And you don't have to know your entire presentation verbatim, but even right. if you just have a post-it note with points on it, I'll have yeah. my four or five points that I need to make yeah. sure that I make. I mean, typically when I yeah. present, I do have <laughs> Both Alyssa and I have our little post-it <laughs> notes yeah, with us yeah. just for this conversation that we're having. I typically do have a PowerPoint, but even in that PowerPoint, I'm going to have those three to five objectives that we're going yeah. to make sure we cover in that presentation. And so yeah. if I ever am in a situation where an audience member asks a question or we get into conversation, I... I love ta tangents and tangents yeah. will take me off into another world. Yeah. I can go back and look at my notes and see, okay, Bridget, these are your objectives. Where were you? Get back yeah. on track. So you don't have to have your presentation memorized word for word from right. the first minute until the last, but yeah. at least know the big points that you yeah. plan to cover. Speaking of big points you plan to cover, what are the big messages or the core topics on which you cover in your presentations, Alyssa? Yeah, I want to dive in that. I want to backtrack just a quick moment about knowing your speech. And so when I'm speaking to knowing your speech, it depends on the level of a speaker you are. So when I began speaking, I practiced and practiced and practiced my speech so that I would be comfortable because my nerves would get the best of me. But now when I speak, I'm a totally different writer. And I'll show you, I know the audience can't see it, but anytime I do a speech, I don't even know what it's called, mapping? But I map my speech out. So I don't know a story word for word. I have a main structure and then I make little bubbles and I have like four points off of each bubble. But I'm more confident in my speaking. I know how to structure and flow a speech. So it really depends on where you are in that process. So um, yeah, so my, my point being is, is if you're kind of a beginner and you're really uncomfortable in your nerves, just practice as much as possible because it'll be easier for you. Where as you develop your skill set, you will learn different components of how to write out a speech that flows for you 
so that it's easier for you to get through it. And, it, and it's not as, as time consuming because I will say that when I first started speaking, it was so time consuming, but I wanted to do a good job and I was, my nerves were, were just like overbearing. So yeah, so I, I appreciate you. Oh, I, I'm glad that you threw that in there. And I shouldn't say threw that in there. That sounds so nonchalant and so <laughs> sounds tacky. It's negative. I'm glad that you added that to the conversation because everybody, I want to talk about a couple of different ways you can create your speech. And then we're going to come back and find out what it is Alyssa speaks on. So one, you can do that mind mapping that Alyssa talked about. We've all seen it. Think about the different techniques that you use in those high school English classes as you were preparing to write right. a paper or do research. And the teacher had given you all kinds of strategies. So you could do the mind mapping where you put your topic in the center of the paper, draw a circle around it, and then draw branches out from that circle about all of the subtopics that encompass that main topic in the middle of the paper. And then draw circles around those mm -hmm. subtopics and then put branches out from those to indicate what are all of the pieces of information that go with those subtopics. You could do your presentation like that. You could plan it like that. Totally. That's number one. Number two, aside from mapping, you could do outlining. It's more formal, but if Roman numerals and letters are your jam, are your thing, and using bullet points, then perfect. Do that. You could do the full sentences or you could just do phrases, but you could totally outline your presentation, again, just like you did in those English classes back in high school or college. And then finally, a third route, and this is the one that's more time consuming, but if you're, if you're early in your speaking career, then this may be one of the better routes. And as time progresses, as Alyssa indicated, it gets easier. But the third option, aside from the mapping and the outline, is going to be writing a full-on script word for word, everything you're going to say. And I'm going to tell you that I have been a professional speaker since 2001 and I still have full on scripts. I do, because sometimes I'll take a script that I wrote back in 2016 and I am going to add some current research, some new anecdotes, some new surprises to it and then create a whole new presentation. But I still have full-on scripts. Oh, I don't have the folder here. I was going to show it to Alyssa. I have a folder that is uh, written scripts. <laughs> and I even have a few here uh, where I sliced and diced them, where I have a couple of scripts from where I was doing webinars and I can just grab them and, and glance at them, usually don't need them. But you could do the full presentation and just put spaces or create paragraphs for each new topic or each new transition. So think about mapping, mind mapping or outlining or just writing the whole thing, the whole shebang from start to finish. Uh, those are different ways that you can dive into designing your presentation. If you feel like, where do I start? I really like Alyssa's approach. It's probably one of the easiest and the less daunting strategies to use. Now, with your mind mapping, what are the topics that you're over there mind mapping, Alyssa? What do you speak <laughs> on? What do you do? Yeah. Well, one of the, the primary speeches that I focus on is there's a, well, there's a couple, but I work with people looking to reinvent their lives. So they are in a place of feeling lost, alone, unfulfilled, and they lack clarity on what it is they even want because they haven't allowed themselves to dream and, and, and 
be this version of themselves. They've kind of just are of this hamster on the wheel going through life, but they feel unfulfilled. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to get clarity around it. And they're sure as heck don't know what action steps to take to get them to a, a different space in their life. And so I speak about my story about, I have different stories. Um, I've got my story of when I left my marriage and the journey there. And in every speech that I have, I have ones on fear. Fear is a huge component in our lives that, that keeps us and holds us back in speaking. You know, we, when we're on stage, we fear being rejected. We fear being judged. We fear failing. Sometimes we fear succeeding because as I competed in this evaluation competition, I knew that I'd have to show up at a higher level every competition I hit. So, you know, you go at this level in competition, but you're kind of, okay, if I succeed, then what, right? And then you fear this uncertainty. So um, in, in speaking and in life and in all areas. So when uh, I'll, I'll just keep it on the speaking frame, but I speak about fears and how they can hold us back in life and how they keep us from really reinventing the parts of ourselves that, that we feel limited around. So yeah, fear, reinventing yourself, my personal stories uh, from eating disorders to my childhood to, you know, more recently, three years ago when I left my marriage, things like that. You indicated that you like to make sure that you show up at a higher level than you did with the previous presentation. What do you do in between presentations to make sure you are indeed bringing it? You're coming with it at this next presentation. Yeah. Well, a couple of things. So like when I was preparing for my evaluation competitions, I, first of all, didn't even want to compete in the competition at, at my club level, but they were short people. And so I was watching uh, YouTube videos of people giving evaluations. I was watching speeches and evaluating them just sitting from my home. I was learning their point system. I was, you know, uh, asking my, my husband at the time, you know, how am I presenting? I practice it in front of, I write it and then I practice it in front of him. So I was doing whatever I could to expose myself. I was watching people speak that I admired, that I knew had the skills that I wanted. So I did whatever I could to expose myself to more information, more resources, and I began to practice so that I could step up my game because consistency and implementing is how you get better. Who I am as, as a speaker today, I know I have bounds to go, but I know I'm bounds from where I started, right? So it's, it's constantly uh, or consistently working to um, expose yourself to resources and, and taking action. Right. You don't just uh, relax on your success. You don't just say, oh, that was a good presentation on to the next one, but that was a good presentation. Let's make the next one great. And so anytime someone gets you in front of an audience, they know that you have consciously thought about how you're going to make this speech, this talk, this audience better than the last. You're one of those feel the fear and do it anyway type exactly. of people, yes, right? Absolutely. Alyssa, Alyssa Sully knows firsthand what it requires to face your fear of taking the stage. As you can see, she has over a decade of experience as a professional speaker, trainer, and teacher focusing on the importance of continuing to grow and evolve in life in building a stronger mindset and in getting the results you want through consistent and focused action. Her transformational community, which is called Reinventing You, is a home to individuals aiming to find strength when they feel stuck, when they feel stagnant, 
or when they lack clarity on how to make the changes they desire in their lives. How did you make the change from your former life to being a professional speaker? Because you've not always been a professional speaker. So how did you make that change, that shift to being where you are now, Alyssa? I, I surrounded myself with, so I, my desire and my, my understanding that I, I wanted to speak was when I was 24 and I was in yellow, I was in corporate training. It was a two week training for yellow pages. And I was watching this corporate trainer speak in front of the group. And I was like, wow, I want to, I want to do that. But I was the one that was always hidden behind the scenes. I was quiet, reserved. I didn't want the attention on me. I didn't like, I was the the quiet one. Right. But that inner knowingness of this was something that I wanted. I was just really scared. And then I began to uh, go back to college. I went to university of Phoenix and the campus that I went to uh, was local in my town. And which is funny because you're in Arizona, but I'm in Marietta, California, it's my here, California. And, um, and so we had a campus and every class, the final required you create a PowerPoint and present your points in front of the class terrified me. I, I like couldn't, I, I couldn't hang. Right. But I, I had to consistently do it. It was required to pass my class. And then I joined Toastmasters and I began to watch people that I admired. And I began to uh, just have a passion for communicating that and understanding the value of, of sharing your story and the impact you can make. And so I've continued to just surround myself with people like you, Bridget, and and others who have podcasts and communities that are striving to make an impact. Um, and we get to share and make a difference. I want to show people that I'm an ordinary I, in, in my speeches while also extraordinary. I've um, overcome different odds. I want them to understand my why I'm standing on the stage and how I want to serve. I want to provide tips and tricks of how to get through the obstacles that they may be facing. And I want to encourage them to take action. And so it's, it's really the environment, you know, I recently posted in my community, it was yesterday, you know, the, the people that you surround yourself by that is, is social influence is such an impactful thing. And if you're surrounding yourself by people trying to step up their game and show up in the areas of life that are important to you, me spending time with you, Bridget, you care about speaking, you care about making an impact. I want to be around people like you. I, I want to, uh, you know, I, it's not in judgment or, or disconnect to, to not spend time with the people that were the old me. But if I'm spending time with people who are afraid to take the stage, I'm not going to be pushing myself. If I'm spending time with people like Bridget, who are wanting us to take the stage, who are teaching us to take the stage, who are pushing us to take the stage, you're going to take me to my next level in life. And I need to embrace that and continue to surround myself with people like you. Alyssa, you remind me of something one of my friends told me, who, as a matter of fact, lives in California. She lives in Oceanside. I remember, oh. she, yes, I remember she told me when it came to tennis, and I need to sign myself up for tennis lessons, that she would always play with three levels of players. She would play with players who were not as good as she was, play with players who were as good as she was, and then, of course, play with players who were more advanced in their tennis skills. And the same goes for speaking and, mm -hmm. and honing your skills. You want to spend time with those who are just getting started. You want mm -hmm. to spend time with those who are at about the same bar that you are. But then in order to get better, in order to up your game, 
you definitely want to spend time with those who have advanced in their skills. And spending time with these people doesn't mean you are like physically spending time with them. That means you are listening to their podcasts. You are reading their books. You are watching their performances. You are having conversations with them. You are connecting with them on social media. You are following what they do. You see what organizations they're a part of. So spending time in those three categories gives you different perspectives. Definitely spending time with those who are not as skilled as you gives you perspective because sometimes you can't get down on yourself you can even the best speakers in the world will have moments where they they think oh my gosh i could have done that so much better so that gives you perspective when you are spending time looking at those who have not been in the speaking game as long as you and then looking at those who are right there with you on your level and then those who are above you it all is about perspective as to where you are and where you want to go. Alyssa, I'm going to give you the opportunity in a little bit to put me in the hot seat to ask me a question. Right. So I'll a heads up and everybody, I do not know what she is going to ask me. Okay, so I just gave her that little heads up and I'm just strapping on my seatbelt over here. Here's my next question for you, Alyssa. If you were not a professional speaker, then what would you do? If I was not a professional speaker, what would I do? I know. Uh, that's I would be question. a race. I would be a race car driver. Just saying. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would do something in fitness. I love fitness. It is like my other passion. It's my therapy. I'm like that is my other big consistent thing in my life. I used to be a fitness coach. I have a background in when I was in my 20s. I was a compulsive eater, exerciser, and bulimic for a period of time, and so. Anytime I can support someone uh, understanding emotional eating and, and staying active and, and loving yourself and your body, uh, regardless of what form it comes in, but just that nurturing process and creating a community around that, that would probably be my, my, my go-to, definitely. And see, what's interesting is it sounds like, just based on what you've told us, some of those passions and interests from your uh, love of fitness that finds its way into your presentations. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds like it does. So usually the two aren't too far away from each other. Being a professional speaker, and then what would you do if you weren't a professional speaker? Even with the race car driving thing, I think, you know, I like bringing excitement to the house. <laughs> a little rubber here and there in a presentation. Yeah. How funny. I love it. Turning corners fast, you don't know what to expect. So maybe, yeah. hey, maybe that's my connection between the racing world and the stage. Okay, it's now your turn. Uh, if you could ask me any question, and you can, what would it be, Alyssa? Oh my goodness. I'm <laughs> you know, the first thing that comes to mind is when you're on stage and you're in a speech and then you're someone intervenes they have a question they make a comment maybe you're even like flustered by and and you find yourself kind of flustered and trying to grasp your energy your your balance like your maintain your communication level not look nervous but freaking figure out where you're at in your speech have you ever been in that situation um and even maybe if not what tips you might provide for a speaker that is kind of now lost in their speech because of an audience member. 
Right. So there are a couple of different directions I can go with this. One <laughs> is to give strategies for how to make sure that when that occurs or when somebody is trying to be difficult, that you don't allow that person to get you flustered. So that's probably my starting point. Uh, you know, have I had that happen to me? Probably, but I had strategies in place. So I knew how to get back on track. So here we go. And let me try to remember them as succinctly as I can. First off, if somebody interrupts my presentation, number one, I typically plan for moments of questions in my presentation. So the likelihood of me getting interrupted is very low. I build them in. As a matter of fact, I like to recommend for people the 15-5 take and give model. For 15 minutes, I take time to give you information. I take those 15 minutes to provide you with my presentation content. And then for about five minutes, I give you the audience members that time to process that information, to ask me any questions that you have. That five minutes is very structured by me. I am the orchestrator of this time together. So those five minutes are going to start off with me providing you with an open-ended question to ponder. And the five minutes, again, gives you time if you have questions. As a matter of fact, I start my presentation by letting you know there will be time for questions throughout the presentation that you can stop me at any time, but seldom do people, seldom does that happen because I've planned it in there. But let's say it does happen. One, I have to assess exactly why this person is asking this question. Is this person trying to be difficult? And that's where I was going, where I had that momentary pause of where I was like, um, are you, what, Alyssa, yeah. never mind. Let me, so one, I need to assess, is this person genuinely curious or is this person trying to be difficult? If the person is genuinely curious, then it's very easy. And you can tell, you can tell when they are genuinely curious, right? You can tell if it's a challenge question or if it's a curiosity question. Sure. If it's a curiosity question. Those are very easy to answer. Just like yours. I knew that this was not a question where you're sitting here trying to challenge me and see if I know what I'm doing. You, yeah, Miss Hot Stuff, I've been a speaker since 2001. Let's see if you know what you're doing, right? I knew that this was a genuine question. Those are very easy to answer. And once you've answered it, always follow up with, does that answer your question? When you follow up with that, it makes it sound like you care. It shows that you care. But if it's a question where I can tell you're trying to challenge me, you're trying to derail me, and you can tell those questions that suggest something that's counter to what you have been espousing through your presentation. With those questions, I stop them in their tracks. That is a fantastic question, lie. That's a fantastic <laughs> <laughs> That's a fantastic question. In the interest of time, I'm going to ask that you and I have a conversation after the presentation or offline. Let's say I've got to hurry to the airport to catch a flight so I don't have time after the presentation, right? So offline, we can get together via email and have that conversation. And then 
again, because I've kept my composure and I maintain control of the situation, I can easily transition back to my presentation. And then here's the next part of my strategy. I typically present with a slide deck. Most of 90% of the time, most of the time I'm presenting with a slide deck so I can easily glance at my machine and see where we left off and then yeah. easily pick up. Does, yeah. does that answer your question? Yeah, no, I love it. And I love the 15-5 strategy. Um, I haven't heard that one. I really love that giving, you know, serving and, and providing value, but then you're also giving time for questions. Oh, really? Well, you have... You haven't heard of the 155 take and give model because you don't have one of my books. Not which- yet, not yet. I need to get it. I love it. I love it. Well, that's oh so good that you provide that there. Like that's it's such an essential tool. And I love I love your strategy of, you know, uh, asking them a question afterwards, making sure their needs are clear. Well, also more of the heckler approach, um, you know, address it later and, and present that and carry on with your speech. I love those techniques. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always assess where is this question coming from? Is this p- question coming from a place of care or if this or is this question coming from a place of criticism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is this and is the answer that I offer also going to add value to the audience? And is it going to do something that you pointed out very early on? Is it going to lift everybody up? So think about that too. Always think about your, is your answer going to continue to move the audience in the direction you want it to go? Is it always going to make people feel good, look good, and, and like what you say for the most part? For, for the most part, I mean, yeah, sometimes you have to you know, reveal some truths that are just ugly, right? But the overall feeling should be one of lifting people up. Oh, that was an outstanding question. Really, it was. Oh, good. I'm glad. Thank you for the great answer. I love it. In our final minutes, what else would you tell the audience about how to own the microphone? Maybe how you do it personally? What are some secret sauces that you have that you use? What do you recommend that they do going forward to just be powerful when it's time to get in front of an audience? Yeah, thank you. You know, I think I want to speak to the different levels that we're at in speaking. If you've never spoken before, expose yourself to resources, podcasts, videos, groups, where you get to be exposed to people speaking so that you can, you can understand some components around it. Toastmasters for me was a great start. I know there's many speaking groups, but meetup.com, things like that. Um, So, and, and, you know, start slow, don't expect to be perfect. And, you know, writing out a short three to five minute speech and presenting it to people and memorizing it is a great introductory to just get yourself used to speaking, used to writing, and, and comfortable enough to move and have great vocal variety and interactive with the audience. As you progress forward, finding techniques like Bridget and I spoke to of uh, the mind mapping or the, the list building um, and where you're itemizing things so that you you're developed more and you understand how to present, but you're keeping it simple. You're not having to like write the script per se yet, but you really just kind of have a system to help you present, maybe even on the fly. And uh, and then going into the script writing, I love that technique. And I think for me on the fly, if there's, if there's five main components you can consider when you're gonna present, how, and, and it's in service of the audience, people wanna be able to relate to you. So if you come out of the gate saying, 
I make a million dollars. I've never had it hard. This is just how it chose. Like the 99% of the audience be like, I don't even get you. Like I'm in the wrong space, right? So show up ordinary. Where did you start? Who were you originally? And share that you, but they don't want just ordinary. Because if I come out and they, yeah, I can't pay my bills. Uh, life is really hard. My car just got repoed. Like, can you relate? Why am I going to listen to your story, right? So we want to be ordinary. We want to show the audience that I, I get you, you get me, we're on the same page. But I want to show you my extraordinary. I may have started here, but this is where I've gotten to. And then you want them to know why you're there. Okay, I'm not here to boast. I'm here to serve and teach you. So you're, you start with ordinary, you add some extraordinary, you explain the why. I'm here to help you understand how to reinvent your life to get clear on the areas of, that you feel stuck around, right? And then the fourth step is to provide some value. You know, sometimes people hold back the value. No, help them see some tips, one that they can take away with them right in that moment. Give them something that they can automatically start implementing and start to see results, but also give them some tools that may take some time. So provide three to four tips. And then the fifth step is to provide a call to action for them. Is it to go out and go pursue your dreams, join a local Toastmasters? If, is it, you know, get my, um, my free manual or my free book as Bridget has, or it's not a free book, I'm sorry, but like, you know, it, go on Amazon and, and get the book so you have these tools like the, the 15 to five things like that. And so those are my five main key points is ordinary, extraordinary, your why, provide some value with tools and strategies, one they can do right now and get results, several that might take some time, but that's for long-term success, and then a call to action to get them going in and make a difference. I love, love, love every last one of those, especially that CTA, that call to action. Now that you have given people all of this content, you've given them your time, you've given them your message and your knowledge. Now what? Give them something to do going forward. And everybody, I'm about to give you something to do. Exactly what Alyssa said. Go out and get a copy of Real Talk by Bridget McGowan on Amazon. Also, also make sure that you are connecting with Alyssa. She uh, is just absolutely incredible. Make sure you visit her website and uh, get on a complimentary the strategy call with her. Also make sure you connect with her on LinkedIn and all of that information for how to connect with Alyssa is going to be in the show notes. It's just beneath this recording. Make sure you reach out to her. Alyssa, Sully, it has been a privilege and an absolute joy to have you on the show today. Thank you, Bridget. I am honored and I had an amazing time. I love your structure. I love your message. I love your vision and the intention you have because so many people, this is can be a really uncomfortable space, but it's so empowering. It's such a, a beautiful way to serve in the world and keep doing what you're doing. It's amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Ah, the same to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very, very much. And thank you to the listeners. Until next time, make sure you always own that microphone. <laughs>